You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and we're joined today with a uh, Awesome guy, Mr. Mario Lancioni. He is actually the uh, founder or an owner of Lancioni Holding Companies. Him, him and his brother have about a hundred unit rental property portfolios. He's also into uh, wholesaling and lease option. Um, so he's a little bit all over in property management. So lots of stuff mm-hmm. to cover today on the show, and I'm really uh, really excited to have him on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sterling. I'm I'm excited to be on too. Awesome. Well, can, can you back up and kind of tell us like how you got into real estate in the first place, how you got interested and um, kind of just, you know, go over your story with us? Yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, I worked corporate sales for about 10 years and uh, I guess probably like about year six or seven into my corporate sales job, I just started looking for other opportunities. I don't really come from like a business background or any experience or just doing sales. What'd you sell? I sold off supplies. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So I work for a huge company um, in the Northeast called WB Mason. So we just sold like door to door office products to, to people. So uh, that's what I sold. And it was like kind of low hanging fruit, to be honest with you. It was pretty easy to do uh, for me. I, w- I just wanted to challenge. So I think, well, my brother came up with the idea. He saw a triplex and uh, he's, he, you know, he just thought about the numbers and he said, if we got an FHA mortgage on it, we split it. We'd only have to put down like $7,000. So we would split it like 3,500 bucks each. And so the cash flow numbers were like, you can do an FHA mortgage with two people. So it was under his name. So I guess we had a lot of trust because traditionally, you know, if it's somebody else, you'll get a LLC operating agreement. Well, and we didn't. We, yeah. And my brother and some, well, I guess some people don't have great relationships with family, but, uh, but so for with my brother, we didn't even know anything about like setting up a structure. It was just like, buy your name. We know you can get it for three and a half percent down and I'll just pony up money on the back end, and it'll just be in his name. So we did that project and we just saw the, the value of the cash flow. I think we cash flow to this day. It was like over 2000 bucks a month in net like profit per awesome. month. I guess the next thing was we snowballed into another, I put a duplex under my name. That was an FHA. We started like thinking like, oh, this is so easy. We were fortunate enough to have good tenants, thank God, because it could have probably been a terrible experience if the tenants weren't good and paying te- uh, rent on time. So oh, yeah. uh, it just got us excited. You know, after, after having a duplex and a triplex, we were excited and uh, we tried to scale, but we didn't know how to scale. So we did the model of like putting 25% down after a couple more homes. And I remember like 20, maybe 2018, we uh, talked about, it wasn't, it wasn't called a Burr then because Burr wasn't like a big name of the Burr mm-hmm. strategy. So we just talked about like refinancing our money out. We're like, well, if we could, if we could do this, we only have to leave like $10,000 into the deal. So we bought them in cash and then we refinanced it. And then after we started seeing a lot of the HUD documents come back, we started tweaking our numbers of knowing truly what like a, a good home purchase price was, a good construction number, and then what the actual value of the home was. So we were able to essentially get the homes for free. So when we were burying the properties, we knew we really were able to identify it after like four or five times. We, sh- I wouldn't say we kind of screwed it up. We probably screwed a couple up because we miscalculated the construction. We miscalculated the appraisal value because we did our own appraisals. But after like four or five uh, of those little speed bumps, we, we got it down. We understood how the, the burrs worked, how to get all our money out. When a bank tells you 75% loan to value, they're really giving you back 65% loan to value. That's the way I calculate it. So you're leaving 10% on the table, closing costs. Exp- exp- oh, closing costs and stuff. Mm-hmm. So when we were calculating our brain, like 
we're going to get an example is like, we're going to get $90,000 and then our mortgage is going to be a thousand bucks per month. We didn't factor in. It's, it's maybe, it might be 75% when you run an ARV quick math, but you're not factoring in all the fees and expenses that it comes to it. So when you're actually getting back, it's typically 10% less on the, on the burr. So we started saying, all right, we have to get the properties even cheaper. Or we have to get our construction costs even cheaper. So those were two variables that we, we, we were able to nail down. When you burred it, how did you calculate the cash flow and how did that, how did that work out for you? So, and, and let me explain. So sure. when I first started, you know, buying properties, I was, I was like, oh, well, you know, I got this house and the mortgage is mortgage principal and interest and insurance and taxes are five sixty a month and I got it rented for ten sixty. I'm cash flowing five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. But when you really factor in like the vacancy and the repairs yep. and all of that, like like I had on that that one house that I like was always bragging that I got five hundred a month cash flow on. Like that's cool. That but at after owning it for a year, I had a sewer line under yep. the slab that mm-hmm. like that was like a seventy year old like cast iron line and it yep. just had broken over time, and yep. I had to jack up all the concrete and replace it, and that was like a six thousand dollar deal, and that wiped out everything I was supposed to. I've made every mistake in the book. I always say like if I ever Same write here. a book, it's going to be <laughs> how I got rich buying bad deals. <laughs> yep, dude, Sterling. You know it's funny. I wish I could go over everything, but like that's one thing we do because we've had so many terracotta lines, like you say, collapse on us. So what we do now is we get a camera scope and we send it down the sewer line to see if it's broken. Because most homes that we buy, are, and it's probably the same as you, they've been sitting vacant for a year or two. So there's so much calcium buildup. Those, those, those sewer lines are a little beat up. So a lot of times those things just deteriorate. So we send a, a, uh, a scope down with a camera in it to see if the sewer line's in shape. Because if you don't factor that in, say it is broken, you have to make sure you have at least, like you said, seven, eight grand. Because then if we have to rip up concrete, and then pour new concrete, that's another cost. So that stuff, dude, I've had three, three times happen to me. I actually have one right now. It happened to me right as we speak. No, when you said I'll smile because it's happened to me as we speak today. Yeah. I, I always take a picture of it and put it on Facebook and goes, if anybody was wondering what an $8,000 hole looks like. <laughs> so yeah. you said terracotta. From my understanding, terracotta is a bit older. They hadn't used that in quite a while. Um, I'm yeah. guessing in Jersey, a lot of the properties have been there. Well, what's the average yeah. age of the um, house that y'all are buying? Sometimes we'll get historic homes in like the, maybe the oldest home we have is like 1850. It's a, it's oh, like wow. a literally, it's a cool historic home in uh, Woodbury, New Jersey, where our, our home office is. So it's not far from here. Thank God, knock on with that. There's nothing wrong with that terracotta line, but that's really the years that we're talking. Some of these homes are dated back from like the mid 1800s. Most of them are in the 1920s, 30s. We'd be lucky if we can get some in like the 60s. So, but our portfolio is kind of all over the place, to be honest. I mean, a lot of our single families, they could be probably as early as the 70s, but then mostly it's like in the like the 20s. In one specific town, we get a lot of like 1920 type, type, type of homes. We'll see old newspapers underneath the old flooring and I'll save, I have a couple of the clippings saved there. It's so cool. Um, nice. Some of the stuff I find in those homes. So yeah, yeah, they're older. Yeah, I guess that's what that's what you have in 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 that type of area, and and you just you make do and you you adjust the numbers for it. Yeah, what does your typical cash flow look like on these properties when you're done, and and like how do you kind of calculate it? I would say I always go very conservative. So I think on average probably two fifty 
in cash flow due to property management. Uh, we have our own in-house property management. So we have, we, we have service calls. So I think a lot of times, like you said, sometimes service calls can knock numbers way out of whack. So we'll always put cushion aside every month just to have like almost like an escrow account mm-hmm. of funds just for maintenance and repairs. Because if we don't back that- What percentage do you do that? Do you have a, how do you do that? Actually, so we were doing, we were trying to do like a 7% number, but I felt like it was too low. So we just started doing like flat numbers. Like if their cash flow was good, I'd say 120 or $100. So we don't have like truthfully a set formula. It's just more, if I didn't like the percentage, I'm like, eh, inch it up a little bit just for a cushion, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did it take? You have a hundred units now. How long did it take you to get there? Let's just say five years. Five Five years? years. And how, how long before it really started like gelling that you really felt like you were making decent money on the cash flow? I would say in 2018, like the end of 18, because that's when it put me in a position where uh, the cash flow that we were making started making sense. Like I was, I mean, my brother and I, it's funny, we sold off supplies, but we were making like pro athlete money. I mean, they, they signed us to a crazy contract because we were going to leave and go to a competitor. So we had two years left on the contract. Uh, we were both making about a quarter million dollars a year. So we were making some ser- serious money. We probably make an under 100K, I'd say, between cash flow and everything together. And we were just so unhappy. I can't explain it that the money didn't matter. We're like, let's just take a gamble on ourselves and just like do this. We love it. We left for, we basically left for less money and said, let's just take a risk because we know the business. We know it's going to be good. We have all the right contractors and all the right investors because at the time we had a lot of investors too that we, we just took a leap of faith and we did it. But if you look at it, you're like, that's a stupid decision because we made so much money. We had two years left of guaranteed money. Guaranteed, but we didn't care. <laughs> so we didn't care. Ask, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. How did the banks react to your walking away from your big salary? I wanted to answer a question that you may, uh, answered before, but it's, it's kind of the same situation with a bank. That's how they come into play. We dealt with a uh, warehouse lender, they call them. So they're almost like a bank that um, gets private money. So they have private money investors that mortgage um, a lot of these mortgages us. So they don't show up on your traditional like credit score. Like if you pull our houses up, you don't, you can't find them if you ran our credit. Um, Their requirement was really, if you had at least five rental properties and you had over a 700 credit score, if you're an existing say investor that doesn't have a quote unquote job, if you have like, say I have an investor that comes in and um, a specific month, his credit score is better than mine we'll run his credit score because he has like a 750, 780. They'll ask him for at least his like last two month um, statements of what he makes, like his proof of income. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times we would leverage if my credit was a little dinged up from like over leveraging on a flip, sure. we'll use my partners to refinance those houses. So we, that, was the, that was the balance act we had was like, as long as we had good credit when we left and we, we obviously already had the, the credibility from the rentals, they were going to refinance the properties for us. Another thing that we did were we, I'm sure, I don't know if most people do this. I thought this was like brilliant at the time that we did was we went into homes and we're like, how are we coming up with these um, renovation numbers and knowing what the mortgage actually is? So we asked the bank that we did so many refis with, he's like, why don't I run term sheets for you? And I asked him, what's a term sheet? He's like, a term sheet's basically, you tell me what the ARV is going to be. Um, you tell me what the, the monthly uh, rental income in the market's going to be, and I'll spit you back what you're going to get on the refi and get ba- like, and basically the mortgage numbers. So in the beginning, before I ever bought a house, I always asked him for a term sheet. 
So it, it showed me the true number of what I was getting back, like plus or minus say a thousand bucks, you know? Sure. So if he's saying I'm giving you 75% LTV Mario, I was, he was showing me pretty like a, a guesstimate of what I was netting, what my mortgage would be. So it a- actually allowed me to do a lot of quick math on, on some homes. I, if anybody does it after like 10 times, you'll kind of know automatically. Like if you walk a house, you'll start formulating your mind like, oh, this is what they'll give me back based on the terms they've done in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like so many of my deals are so like identical that really <laughs> I know what the term, well, when you use the same yeah. bank over and over, yeah. you can just kind of like calculate that in your head. But you know what I did start doing recently was like, I noticed that like the same appraisers would show up over and over again. Yeah, good point. Banks in the area. Very good point. Yep. So I got to where when I found like a wholesaler would send me a house I wanted to buy, I'd send it to the appraisers that appraised my previous stuff and say, yeah. hey, what would you think the ARV of this would be? <laughs> and, yep. and that like, that helped me a lot because like, A, like if they get pulled, they can't say like it's any lower than they initially yeah. told me it would be. That's true. Yeah. You're in good position. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's, that's, I mean, it's worked out really well there. That's awesome. I was going to ask you, did you ever, I know one thing for new investors, if they ever had this issue, cause I've had this as an appraisal where I self appraised it style of homes. I remember an appraiser told me like one time I miscalculated by like 30 grand, the ARV. And I called the lady and I asked her, I said, Why, how was I off? She's like, well, Mario, you're, comping a Cape Cod versus a Victorian. So like, even though the square footage is there, the bedroom size is there, the style is totally off. And I didn't uh, know that. I've never heard of that. That sounds like maybe something that, that happens more in Jersey than in yeah. South Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I guess for, for anyone to be, be, be warned, you know, some of that stuff could happen to them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I know that like they have, they have certain like little, puts and takes i've tried comping a, a you know a house that's on a slab to a house mm-hmm. that's pier and beam and they're like nah it doesn't really work that way it's not apples ah, i see um so yeah. yeah there's definitely like snags that you learn a, a, along the way yeah but as i see the appraisers over and over again like i, I just really like sending it to them that's uh, smart yep I would like to hear some more about the the other things that you've got into. So you started with the rentals and I'm guessing the yeah. whole time you were in corporate America being a, a sales guy, um, yeah. which, which I came from the same background. So I never uh, understand yeah. exactly where you're yeah. You were just accumulating the rentals. And then when you left, you, you figured it was time to start like sprinkling in a little more active income. And that's kind yeah. of where you got into the wholesaling and the flipping, I assume. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the flipping, um, I still do time to time. It's probably predicated on the wholesaling piece, but wholesaling really stemmed here because it was a lot of the market was drying up on the MLS. So most, all of my deals, the rental deals, there might be one wholesale deal I acquired along the way of those hundred. Then I started to find it was super tight to get, get homes on the MLS. And, uh, my brother, again, he always leads the charge. He's younger than me too. So he led the charge on trying to wholesale. I came up with a crazy idea a year ago, which was a terrible idea to start a construction company. So we actually like kind of like within a week, I started a construction company with a bunch of guys, like ragtag guys, because I knew the business, you know, and then my brother started wholesaling and um, we both had bumps and bruises, but his bumps and bruises, he made money. Um, for me, I lost like a ton of money and I got out of it, but it was ugly. It was, it was ugly. To be honest, it was ugly. So, but then I was poking my head over there asking like, how's it going? He's like, dude, we have to do a flip. We'll make 40,000 in like six months. And he's like, I can make a quick like 8,000 bucks in like a month or less. And 
I didn't really do anything hard. He's like, we already under, he's like, you already know sales because it's your past. It's, we're just going directly to the homeowner and we're connecting the dots. All we're doing is connecting the dots to someone like you or I, and the numbers still work. It's just, we're making a small, a small cut on it. And I'm, like a finder's fee, he called it. He didn't even call it a wholesale fee. He just said it was a finder's fee. I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds that sounds pretty cool, man. Could you teach me? I was like, because I'm I need some money because the, the the construction thing was like a disaster. <laughs> and he was like, dude, just be patient for about a month. He told me like, you know, he's like, download PropStream, use that. It's kind of like you can, you know, like we talk about ARVs. He's like, it's a good system where you can pull up people's like information. Um, it actually helps you negotiate um, using the using the PropStream website. He's like, so spend time about a week YouTubing it and then understand it. And then we'll talk about how we go about extracting business. And he taught me about skip tracing. And then he just gave me a little script. Like it was a stupid little script of like intro, um, find out the condition. And then he asked me about motivation and like price. And then like, there was really no training. He just said like, this is kind of how you would want to talk to a seller. And uh, I started doing it. And, you know, in the beginning, you just throw up on yourself and do stupid stuff. But then like, the natural sales instincts came back and I enjoy sales. So like it started becoming fun, like wholesaling. Yeah. And uh, I started knocking down a bunch of deals. I mean, uh, I couldn't even tell you. I, I know over like three months, I made about 60 grand in wholesaling. And, nice. and I kind of like was stumbling and fumbling, dude. Like I didn't do anything. Cr- How are you finding the, the deals? Like what, 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 are you, you doing bandit signs? Are you like robocalling or so, where are you getting the leads from? So it's funny. It's my brother's approach. He's a little more introverted than me. So he does text campaigns. I was trying to text campaigns, but I felt when I left the day, I wasn't being productive. Like me texting a million people on a batch leads, it didn't make sense. So I'm like, I have to, I have to call people. All texting does is avoids the intro. I'm like, all texting does is this lets me know if they're interested or not interested. So I was like, let me hand dial. So I started hand dialing and that was a pain in the ass. So I was like, is there a system that can like auto call people. So I use this uh, software called Mojo Dialer. Mm-hmm. So it automatically just calls people. And it's amazing. You'll make like, you can make like 500 phone calls in a day by using Mojo Dialer. And you'd be surprised if you get on the phone with people that are motivated. Like I said, it's usually motivated sellers or a distressed property owner. That's all you really are. I try and identify. So if someone says, no, I just, I just either get off the phone or I ask them, do you have any other properties you're interested in selling? Sometimes you'd be surprised. They're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think about this property, but I'm interested in selling that. So I picked up some no's when people said no. I've actually picked up a couple wholesale deals by asking that question of like, do you have any other properties interested in selling? And they're like, you know what? There's a property I have a, a lien on for like eight grand. And I picked that up, you know. But surprisingly, wholesaling is actually not as hard um, as, as people think, especially if you have a sales experience. I guess if you're used to rejection, someone like you or I, it would be easier to do, truthfully. So walk us through, like, what, what, what is a conversation like that? How does that sound? So it sounds like if I call, I'll say, hi, is Sterling there? And then you'll say, hi. Yeah. I was like, yeah, my name's Mario. Um, I'm a local uh, real estate investor. I'm just calling uh, to see if you're interested in selling your property. It could go one of two directions, yes or no, or what the hell, how'd you get my number? And then right. from there, if they're like, um, yeah, well, I have a bunch of people calling me. I'm not interested in selling it. I'm not interested in getting lowballed. I usually combat it with saying, you might have gotten lowballed in the past, but I also, if you're open to terms, you know, we can come up with a creative deal of like you being the bank and I can essentially, you know, take over the property and you can mortgage it to me. So I'll do like a seller finance deals or uh-huh. um, subject to. So yes and no. I like giving options. So I always... The best way to, to close people to me is if you give them like a cash option 
a listing option. I have a, uh, I have a real estate uh, agent in my office. So I always say, listen, I can give you a cash option, which um, has to work for me. I have to truthfully make a profit. The second option could be um, a realtor in-house. I can list it for you and try to get the price you want. And the third option could be terms. It could be based on if you really, really want 120, I can give you 120, but it has to be on terms. That's the only way this, could, this deal can work. So I, I see that I close more deals by giving options than just being a cash guy. And you know? What option do they usually always choose? So if you can steer it correctly, they will take the cash surprisingly. Because you break down like you or I like explaining, well, if you put it on the market, you'll get say 70 and you're just being honest. You're like, then, you know, you have to factor in, um, it's a limited pool of buyers and blah, 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 fees. Yeah. So it kind of punches out the same number. Typically you can educate them that way. You don't go into convincing people. You just, I like sharing all the options. And if it works for them and me, then it's a, it's a good situation. If it doesn't work for them, then it's not going to, it's not going to benefit you. Yeah. So, uh. But I thought those, those, that's like kind of the, the best like passive approach of being like helpful too. There's some people that like are older. I have a guy that is so old. He's like, I just want a trailer. I said, why don't we do this? Because he had so many liens. I said, let me find a, buy you a trailer or, or find you something like, a, a, like a, a mobile home park. And then I can get you a mobile home in exchange for your house. And he's open to it. But I have to find now it's on my end to find that that's kind of hard right now. So, right. but, but he put it under contract with me. I said, listen, give me 45 days. We'll put it under contract. So like I have first rights and like another wholesaler can't take it, but by me making it like being of help, I think it helps me more than another wholesaler. Cause they're looking at it from one spectrum. Like I got to make a sale. I got to make a sale. So if you can look at problem solving or being creative, it, it helps, you know? So how long has it been since you quit your corporate job? Two years ago. Have you, have you gotten to the point where you replaced that income that you lost? I'd say no. Cause that, that, that construction company beat me up. <laughs> bad, man. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you. Yes. I'm yeah, li- I'd yeah. lie if I don't that. I entertained the construction company idea. Uh, I didn't uh, take it as far as you. I really, okay. what I really entertained longer was the property management company and I wanted to manage other people's properties and you know, I was going to have this big problem. Yeah. And it turns out I'm just a terrible property manager. I didn't really have any business in my own properties. Yep, I know. <laughs> I was just telling um, <laughs> the last girl I was interviewing on the last show. Yeah. When I turned my properties over to property management, I called everybody I knew and I told them I felt like I bought a shiny new car. Like I was that <laughs> excited to not. And, and and the guy, the guys that manage it are good friends of mine. And that was like, there was a few things that held me back from doing it for a long time. One is the cost. And I was just looking at like how much. Yep. And the other thing was like, it was a trust issue because I bought so many properties that were in such mm-hmm. disarray because of crap property management companies. I just, yep. like, I felt like I was going to be spending a, much, a bunch of money to pay somebody to do stuff worse than I would have done it. <laughs> exactly. I agree. And then finally, like some friends of mine who own a hundred houses on the other side yep. of town, they agreed to take it over and I trust them and they do a way yep. better job. They have better systems. They're better at fixing <laughs> stuff. I've spent a ton of money in maintenance repairs um, over the yep. last several months with them, but 
I wouldn't have fixed it because I didn't know how to fix it. But mm-hmm. if, they, if they wouldn't have fixed it, that stuff would have like edged on and lingered it yep. caught up. It would have lingered and it would have gotten worse and would have caught up with me in the long run. So it's yeah. a painful season. I'm, I'm currently going through <laughs> like getting past all that deferred maintenance, Yeah, but I'm glad it's getting done. And I feel like there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel on that. There will be. And that's where over the past like five years, I've felt the, like a lot of the pain points of being a property like prop, self-property manager. And I, I had I created systems, so to speak, of people in-house. But a lot of times when you get people in property management roles, they may not know construction or simple fixes and who the right handyman is. So they cost you a ton of money by trying to explain it to them and training them. So like I've tried to even hire people with experience and it still doesn't go well. So like I guess I haven't had a lot of luck with property management, truthfully, even in-house managing. And I um, that's why I told my brother, I'm like, dude, I'd rather present lease to own options because then I can flip the script. And if they actually give me a sizable deposit towards the property, we'll still be collecting rent in a lease to own like we're landlords, but we're not owners anymore. And I, and I just told him, I was like, I want to get out of the ownership standpoint of being a property manager. I guess to your point, it costs me a lot of money. It's a lot of coordinating, a lot of headaches. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm over it. I'm over it. But, but I, I thought lease to own options. A lot of times if I can, pick them up through wholesale deals. As I mentioned before, we jumped on the radio, like of uh, just sandwich leasing. I'm like, if someone is willing to give me a uh, seller finance deal or subject to, I just connect them with one of my lease to own um, people that are pre-qualified and I just connect the dots and put them into the same position. So um, I'm in the position right now of building out that back end because the, the, the hardest part for me is not getting or picking up the um, seller finance or for sale by owner deals. It's getting legitimately qualified lease to own candidates. The key is getting a a really amazing mortgage lender. You need someone like that. And um, I have that person. They're basically going to run their information similar to like how we would with a a tenant, Um, their income level. um, They've really scrubbed though, all their financials, um, make sure that they will be in a position and say a year or two out to actually buy the property. And that's how they'll they'll help me connect it with the lease to own option. Um, I'll do a closing but it's going to be a closing with a real estate attorney versus a traditional closing at a title company. Um, so it's a little more serious and it's also a real estate attorney who, who handles it. So um, that's the back end piece. I think the front end piece is actually easy to make. It's just connecting the lease to own people. And you actually can make bandit signs with it. So I'm going to do like lease to own bandit signs. Like you'll see a million bandit signs for, we buy cat houses and cash, but you don't yeah. see a lot of lease to own bandit signs, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few, but you're right. You see, it's not nearly the ratio that you see. We buy houses cash now. Yeah. Yeah. So no. what would you do differently if you could like go back? Would you, or, or what advice do you have for anybody else that's, that's looking to get started? I don't know. I'm, I'm a person like a really, I get bored quickly and um, I'm a big idea guy. So I would say try to control your enthusiasm of like, <laughs> creating all these businesses inside real estate because you can. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it could, honestly, it could bankrupt you. Like for me, I, I'm so thankful it didn't put me in that position with the construction company, but I could have put myself in a bad, bad spot of just like if I hired, say, project managers and I thought they were doing the right thing. And if you don't have a real good pulse on certain things, operations could fall apart. So I say just kind of stay in a lane for a really long period of time. Make sure you do it well instead of Xing it and just, just stay true to that. Cause, um, 
it's going to be more beneficial than just jumping off into like a deep end. I think when I did wholesaling and at least own, it didn't make me feel like I was so far off the spectrum of what I was comfortable in, you know? Right. Um, construction, I'm, I, I don't know how to swing a hammer, but I was like, oh, I, I, trust me, I'll reinvent the business. And <laughs> it was nuts, dude. And it, it was, uh, but that's just my word. Like advice is like, if I don't, if you're not like really an expert on that space or no, don't know too much, I wouldn't just, throw all the chips into it and do it. And, and I did that. And uh, it can, it can hurt you. It really can hurt you. Awesome. Yeah. So I want to hop over to our radio round real quick and just sure. um, give our, our, our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. I cool. just, uh, three questions. The first question we have is what's your favorite book? Book. Okay. So um, I, I like real estate books, but uh, this book helped change my life. Uh, my mom passed away uh, several years ago and there's a book, uh, by Eckhart Tool called The Power Now. And I think what it helped me with was being more present instead of always like thinking about the next thing um, or thinking about the past. It really keeps you like engaged in the moment. And I think it helped me really transform my business by being like dialed in. Like if we're in the interview, I'm not texting somebody. Like sure. we're, you know, so I think that book is so powerful explaining to you like being present and it gets real spiritual, yeah. but it's an unbelievable read, The Power Now. It's on over like puzzle. Yeah, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard of that. Heard, I think I heard about it on yeah. Oprah. Uh, yeah. I, no, I'm I'm definitely gonna check it. It's been on my list for a long time. You'll I'm love it. Never, yeah. never sit still. What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote, and I don't know who said this quote. It's um, the fortunes in the follow up. So if you're in sales, I remember I've always heard this in my my past life was, uh, you know, if you don't follow up with any like you're not there's you're never going to make it or you're not going to make any money so that's why they always said the fortunes in the follow-up so i like that yeah. quote and i stand behind that a lot with my guys i was preaching that message this morning right yeah people think people can get get hung up calling a thousand people but realistically I, like the stats on how many time how many touches it takes to make a sale are astronomical it's, it's like you're most right. people buy on like the seventh call you know what i mean and don't you most, feel that's true though being a sales uh, professional, right? It is. It absolutely yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And and most people give up, you know, after, oh, they told me they don't want it the first time. Like, everybody's going to tell you they don't want it the first Everyone. time. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. so true. So how can our listeners uh, find out more about you or get in touch with you? So I've been really big uh, enjoying TikTok, actually. So okay. uh, I haven't, I haven't uh, endeavored over there yet. Yeah. You know what's funny? I, I like how they struck. At first, I thought it was like taboo or whatever, but as you go on it, it's actually very helpful. Um, if you follow other real estate people, they give like like quick to the point, good tips, like sound tips. And uh, I like it. I actually like the platform. Instagram's good, but I've been veering towards like TikTok. And uh, okay. I think my my handle, let me, let me, where's my phone? I don't, know. It's, I don't think it's my name. I think it's like Motown Estates. Let me just say, yeah, it's Motown twenty one twenty two, that's my uh, my handle on TikTok, and I've actually been active on that more than Instagram. Um, What's the one on Instagram? Is it the same name? It's just my name, uh, Mario Lancioni. Okay, cool. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, all of our listeners will hop on and start fine. I'm gonna have to download TikTok and check you out. I've never, uh, never even given it a shot. You know what? You probably have. You definitely have so much content. You'll, you'll see. Like, you look at some of my posts that are like simple, and I'll get a hundred thousand views. And it's like me talking about gutters being like returned, and like they should be. It'll, it helps like water come in the basement. So I explain a simple thing that you can do, and I'll get a hundred thousand like people that view it. 
and all these followers. It's amazing, dude. It's like the, the last platform left where you can actually go viral pretty quickly by providing good feedback. Like, you know, you, you have a, like the terracotta line thing that you have. Like that's, that's gold to me on TikTok. Like it's a really good topic. I might steal it yeah. and put it on there. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. Like when you talked about it, I'm like, that's a good one, you know, because that's, that's something I, I think people don't talk about because me and you have the pain of doing it. And <laughs> Yeah. People eat that stuff up. It's it's great. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Mario. I really appreciate it. It was uh, great getting to know you, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to follow you on your, your real estate journey. You too, Sterling. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Cressworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.